Let the games begin. Carnage. 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 Hello there and a huge welcome to the Carnage podcast. Of course, I'm going to apologise because it's been such a long time. I've been actually incredibly busy, uh, quite a lot of stuff going on. Not negative, quite good stuff actually. Look, like the UK buses, you wait for one and suddenly three or four come along suddenly. So I am hoping to visit a few countries during the next three weeks, virtually of course, to interview a few people. Now, we've obviously heard from someone in India. Now, today's interview is not from Pakistan, of course, but it's someone who was born in Pakistan but raised in the UK, just like myself. Let's just hear from her how she's dealt with disability in the Pakistani community and how she's grown up to be, again, yet another human being on here that is successful by her own right. So, um, well, without further ado, why don't we dive straight into it and uh, welcome Haya Hassan. Um, that's, of course, my name as well. But uh, hey, Haya, how are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Haya, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And of course, this is a new podcast, so uh, do feel free to share it with your family and friends. Um, I'm going to take you back like I have with my previous guests, right to the beginning. So, Tell me how you lost your sight or were you born blind? And tell me a little bit about how you, well, I was going to say escaped Pakistan, but you know, how, how you left Pakistan and why? Yeah, of course. So I was born in Pakistan in a city called Karachi. Um, I was diagnosed with my eye condition called aniridia at four months. I think we lived there in Pakistan until I was nine months of age and then we moved to the UK. Um, so I'm based in the southwest um, of Wiltshire called Swindon. So I, my mind condition is aniridia, but it also has a lot of associated eye conditions like cataracts, glaucoma, and macular de- degeneration. Okay, so and why did your parents decide to leave Pakistan and come to the UK? The main reason was um, my dad's um, job. Um, so he works in the telecommunication industry. Um, and we also moved to... Um, I could get more support because in Pakistan um, there's a lack of resources for like any disability whether it's um, a physical disability a learning disability there's not that support and yeah see that's the two main reasons yeah absolutely and, and look we'll touch on that a bit more later on but now here's a sensitive question uh, growing up in the Pakistani community can be difficult and that's not me discriminating or, or being harsh against the community. It just that's just a fact. Um, what was it like as a female with a disability, uh, whether that was in Pakistan or, or in the UK indeed, because we, we have the same cultural values as we do back home, perhaps. So was it difficult for you and your family and your friends uh, to to comprehend and understand that here's a female who has a disability? Yeah, um, that's quite a big question. Um, I think, yeah, it is a big thing for the family. I think it's a bigger thing for the family than myself because I've lived it my whole life. Of course, my parents had to grieve for it. So with my condition, um, 
like at the beginning of um like year um we have to be have ultrasounds um, for something called Wilms tumor because um patients with anorexia can have kidney problems so that was a huge part of like my parents concern and yeah like I haven't met anyone in like the Pakistan community here um that is visually impaired like the town I live in is quite small so that's one thing okay I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot I do ask difficult questions um I guess what I'm saying is has there been feedback from back home I mean I'm assuming yours you have siblings and, and and are they do they have any sight problems uh, I have three sisters. None of them have sight problems. Um, just me. Okay, so you know when I talk about um, from the moment you grow up in some communities, and you can excuse me and and tell me to shut up, of course, but in some communities, as soon as you start growing up, there's chat of marriage, how you're going to cope. Was there any of that going on in your life, bearing in mind that you're visually impaired? Not really. Um, there's the area of like being employed as a woman and being visually impaired I have a psychology background like getting employed in that um, area is quite difficult as well um, it takes quite a lot of um, schooling um, further education like getting a postgrad um, working in hospitals okay so let, let's talk about that education side of things you, you you grew up in Swindon which is a small in comparison to where I grew up in London what kind of a school did you go to was it a specialist school was it a mainstream school talk to me about your school college and university how how did that work out for you i had my primary school in the uk um then we moved abroad six years uh, then i came back and i started um from year nine i was in a mainstream school so i did my GCSEs. where did you move to abroad and was that because of your dad's job again um yeah that was my dad's job and because i had a lack of um support so i moved to cairo um, in egypt for three years and then three years in uae um in abu dhabi wow okay so you you've you've traveled and when you were in those countries were you going to school and what was that like those were quite challenging years in education. In Egypt, I went to a boarding school. It was quite far from home. Um, I stayed there for a bit, but after a few weeks, I had to come back. I was having learning difficulties at the time. Um, like my memory was affected. I couldn't spell. There just wasn't that support. Um, and from the teachers, they had to look at the other students, so there wasn't that one-to-one support. So I had to be homeschooled for a lot of the time. Um, and then I went back into the schooling system. Um, to an American school and then when we moved to Abu Dhabi um, I went into the British education system and that was kind of the same story there was the lack of support again and in terms of like the technology the equipment um, my family had to find that. Was the school in Cairo mainstream school? Yeah it was mainstream school yeah. So um, there's okay. no specialist schools there. Yeah 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 of course but th- th- this is kind of quite inspirational and 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 so you've gone into a boarding school in a country where well I don't know I don't know what it's like but I mean obviously the main language is Arabic and and presumably you didn't know Arabic so you as a visually impaired girl you're going into Cairo and to a boarding school where majority of the students would be sighted but not only that Arabic would probably be your third language yeah exactly and when I was living in the UK before, I could speak um, Urdu fluently. How did you cope without being able to speak Arabic, though? A lot of the students there were they were international based, so the teachers could speak English as well. Um, 
it wasn't complete. You had to speak Arabic fluently. We had to take the Arabic classes. Then you've gone into the UAE where you have got British schools, of course, but but presumably, again, this is mainstream education. Your parents are having to fork out for equipment, but as well as that, you're, again, dealing with different cultures, different communities, and a different type of education. really want you to break it down for me and tell me the differences between those three countries. And I know that's a tough one, but if you can, that'd be great. So split the countries in terms of how people perceive disability. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge question. Perceived disability, mm-hmm. but also how you um, were accepted, how you managed to, I guess, particularly in Cairo and, and Abu Dhabi, how you managed to get yourself in a position where you could come back to this country into year nine and manage what you have. When I was in Egypt, I was quite young. So I was around age of, um, I think, 10. So I can't remember um, exactly how it was. What I can remember is that the teachers um, saw that I was, I guess, quite helpless. So they kind of just let me be free. What I was told by my parents, I would just spend a lot of time playing in the playground instead of just learning. In Abu Dhabi, it was a bit different story because I was a teenager. So I think having like the lack of support from my teachers and the lack of support or the perceived lack of support from my peers, because I was quite angry at the time that I had this visual impairment. I didn't know anyone else um, with the same condition. So most of the time I would come home like crying to my parents saying, um, can you just um, find another school? Maybe I'll find another person who's visually impaired. Um, but all the schools we knew, um, the children were either like had um, autism or they had Down syndrome. Also a big part in Abu Dhabi, there was a lot of um, like sporting clubs. I tried to take part in that, but again, that wasn't accessible. Um, I tried to participate as much as possible, tried to make friends, but uh, it was not easy at the time. Okay. All right. So I think I've had it pretty easy then, you know? So... No, no. I mean, no, seriously, because if you if you think that, okay, I came into this country and I couldn't speak a word of English, but at least I stayed in one country and I didn't have to chop and change. I think I got pretty used to the community and and the culture. You are now dealing with so many different cultures. You talk about angry. I mean, of course, you don't sound angry right now and I don't expect you to sound angry on my podcast, but (laughs) crying is normal. But how are you channeling? that anger i spent a lot of the time alone once i found out about these sporting activities and stuff i just like um kind of withdrew myself um, in my room through just um sometimes playing imaginary games sometimes just spending time with my sisters because they understood me better than my parents did all right so um, let's talk about those relationships what is your relationship or what was your relationship like with your siblings i feel like i have a strong relationship with my siblings but I feel like at times it can be quite hard for them because my parents, they give more support to me than my sisters. There's that um, imbalance. But as well, yeah, it is strong. We spend a lot of time together. I was saying the balance. Um, I want you to tell me what that means. So as I mentioned about my schooling, most of my parents' attention was to me that I was going to get a good education, that I was going to get good grades. Um, because when I came back to the UK, my grades um, were very low. And I had to 
pick it up before my GCSE started. I feel like they can be very overprotective of me and they're more strict with my sisters. Tell me about university. So, you know, I'm going to sum it up and I'm going to keep saying it because I think to me it's just exceptional. Everyone I've spoken to on here, I tend to repeat their stories in my head and on the podcast because I think it's amazing. So from going to Karachi, Pakistan, from losing your sight to coming here, then suddenly being chucked into a boarding school in Cairo, then, oh, guess what? We're moving to Abu Dhabi. And by the way, that's not a negative. I'm just summing it up. You then arriving back into England into year nine. Well, that's a real crucial year because you're now approaching a GCSEs. So you've cleared your GCSEs. You've, you've made it into sixth form, I'm assuming, and, and university. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, my school at like GCSE time, they're very supportive. I had the one-to-one um, TA support. I had the equipment, like the CCTV, the magnifiers. Um, at the time, I was had mobility training um, for my local council. So once I passed my GCSEs, I did my A-levels. I did them in um, sociology, business and psychology. Um, again, it was, I stayed at the same school um, to get the same support. And then at university time, it was a big step, to be honest. I wasn't expecting it. It's like quite a different ball game. There's a lot more independence because I didn't have the one-to-one TA support. I think the big thing is two years of my university degree was um, online because of COVID. So it's distance learning. In terms of the university, um, I also got the DSA, the Disability Students Allowance um, funding for my equipment, for my laptop. So I just completed my final year of university, just waiting for my results now. Um, I think one area of like university was lacking. Um, so I didn't meet many disabled students in my university. So I think that was a bit of a shortfall. But I think otherwise it was a very good experience. Sorry, what university was it? Uh, university of Reading. Knowing what I know, obviously, um, from social media, you haven't got your results yet. And yet, You've just secured an internship, have you not? Uh, yes, yeah, um, with Thomas Pockington Trust. So I'm hoping to start in the week of the 20th. So I'll be going to London that week to collect the equipment to uh, meet the team. So I'm excited for that. Exactly. I mean, I mean, so Pockington Trust, a former employer of mine. I mean, <sighs> I think I've done a few podcasts in the past and, and, and even on this series, I, I'm just always sighing because I think the sense of achievement is just extraordinary it always lifts me so you haven't got your results yet and you've already secured yourself an internship and I know they'll look after you there going for the job were you scared were you nervous and of course I bet you were but tell me how you handled that what were your emotions this is my first job interview um I was quite nervous my um, mum went with me so I had that support and I've been to like London a few times but just for the Morfield Eye Hospital appointment so this was like traveling to a new part of London which was quite cool like when I got to the interview room they were very friendly it was quite a calm environment yeah it was a mix of emotions only you can say Euston is cool it's just so busy it's got one of the biggest and busiest roads in in the uk really? yeah yeah it does it really does but I, I think pocklington trust have moved buildings now um where we were before you had to cross one of the uk's busiest roads it used to take me 10 to 15 minutes it, it was oh, just wow. extraordinary yeah yeah, yeah. so oh. so now you're at a, a, a 
a much nicer office than I've been there. Um, I think, hey, you know, there's a penthouse just above that building. So <laughs> you're in a real nice place in London. I think you should be proud. Well, mm-hmm. how, how do your family feel? What, what do they say to you? What are the conversations? Uh, yeah, my family was proud as well. Of course, because this was the first job. They were quite surprised as well. Also, this was the full-time job, 95, five days a week. Um, so they weren't, at the start, they weren't sure whether I should go for it. But they said, go for the interview, see how it goes. If it doesn't like go well, then you can always try again with another organization. I think they were just that worry um, and fear just protecting me. Look, I don't know you on a personal level. I think you should be very proud of what you've achieved. I'm certainly proud that you're achieving what you're achieving. And having learned about your life and your story, I think it's phenomenal. I, I do. And I'm not just saying Thank that. You. Like yourself, like what we've had with Simran and, and mm. Amira, I think you girls, and, and I'm not being sexist, I think the challenges and the barriers you've jumped, broken, have been unbelievable and i don't care who you are in the world i don't care where you're listening to this you're an example so what would i appreciate you... it <laughs> no no honestly like you haven't paid me to say this and i mean that so i guess where do you see yourself in five years and i know that's a job interview type question well first i've got the job and um, this internship but to be honest, i'm not sure because of my psychology background so i was thinking to go into research or like the educational side of psychology, but I was not sure, so I went into um, like an organization who helps people with disabilities. So that was my safest option in terms of careers. But I think, Haya, if but, I can just jump in quickly. I, I, yeah, sure. I know you say it's safe. I think it's a huge step uh, to be actually yeah. in an internship before you've even got your marks. And I think that opportunities will come your way and you'll be surprised how they i think i don't know i've never lived outside london but i think within london there are opportunities out there don't you think i agree yeah absolutely and yeah make use of the opportunities um, i think gratitude is the very important part as well anybody on a similar journey anybody who has your sight loss condition and, and i think most of my questions to you have been wrapped up within five five different questions because i've really want to extract everything I can from you what would you say to anybody who's coming through the journey that you've come through one thing I'd say is like be kind to yourself because I think um these conditions is like um a grieving part to it I feel like I guess the emotional part of disability is not really um, talked about as much as like the social side so I'd say that is like that grief um in terms of like feeling anger, um, just freaking out like your identity. I think also find people who are also originally impaired that you can connect with, um, who you can share your stories with, whether that be in person, whether that be online. Um, there's so many like support groups and now compared to before, like uh, technology is advanced immensely. The things we have now, there wasn't as many resources as there were before. Um, so I think make use of it and if you need support like ask for it don't be worried because people will be there for you if you ask absolutely hi you're probably bored of me saying this and, and so many people will they're like you're repeating everything you've said before but that is because I said to you that every single person we've had I've really believed that they're trailblazers 
for whatever they're doing. And you are a trailblazer. I think you'd be the perfect role model for not just young Asian girls growing up with disabilities, but for anybody who who wants a little mm. bit of inspiration. And you'd be the perfect work coach as well. Um, and I really believe that. So, look, before we can open these windows, because, <laughs> of course, we're recording this on a day when it is really hot in London, at least it is for us anyways. I, I've, got, I've got to ask, I've seen on your social media that you do some charity work or your family does some charity work. Could you touch on that a little bit? Just because I think that's the, that's the cherry on the cake. I don't know if you're referring to a specific post, but there's one um, charity my family runs. It's a healthcare clinic in Karachi, Pakistan called Seha Welfare Trust that supports patients with um, cataracts if they um, they're in contact with a hospital that um, provides the cataract surgeries. Um, there's also a diabetes clinic um, and also a vaccine, vaccine clinic. Here locally in Swindon, we run a charity called Connecting Communities, which runs like, social events for vulnerable um, people. Um, whether that be like women, refugees, um, asylum seekers, um, reverts. So those are the two main charity works we do. When you say reverts, someone who's reverted to Islam. Yeah, yeah, reverted right. to Islam. How does that work? What what kind of work do you do in Swindon then? Just for anybody who may want to get involved, either wanting help or wanting to help you. Yeah, sure. So we do like social events and so we do social gatherings. We've also done fundraising so we do like a food fair like yearly we used to do um self-defense classes like in our community center so that was just for women and yeah just small little bits like that we also used to do Quran classes for like the sisters and yeah that's about it see that's the thing you say that's about it you didn't even mention it which is exactly what i mean is that you guys are humble and uh doing some wonderful work out there i know for myself if you ever wanted any help um then i'd be i'd be more than happy to help um i think you've been wonderful and i know i've put you on the spot by asking to do this so i really appreciate your time really do is there anything else that you wanted to mention that i haven't asked um no i don't have any more questions i just wanted to thank you so much for this opportunity to come on this podcast very fortunate like to like meet someone who's visually impaired and like share my story so it's look, quite amazing. No, 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 look, look, look. This podcast, I'm never going to make money from it. What I want to do is give people a platform. If three people listen to it, great. I've had listeners from India, Palestine, Pakistan, England, South Africa. Even if it's mm. one person from those countries, if your story hits one person and makes that person sit up and inspires them, or if it helps one single parent to push their child towards the right direction, as your parents have, as Simran's, as Amira's, then, um, mm-hmm. whoa, I, that's, that means the world to me. That's all it is. That's all this. Yeah. I mean, of course, the name is Carnage, and it's a bit of play on words fun, but I think the last three stories have been truly phenomenal, so thank you so much. And look, good luck with Pocklington. Good luck with everything you do. Uh, can't wait to follow your career, because I think you're going to go a long way. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sounds about right.